Courtside Club is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet, you get with Caesar's Rewards. Must be 21 or older. I had went to the one o'clock service. The Padre was like, it's close to game time. Let's wrap it up to the congregation. And everybody was like, amen. <laughs> out, the out the door. What's up, you guys? I'm Rachel Demita, and welcome to the Courtside Club. Today, I am joined by a former NFL player and also Super Bowl champ. You can now find him on Sirius XM. Willie Cologne, welcome hey, to the Courtside Club. Hey, how's everything? Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for making Beautiful the time. Beautiful setup, by the way. I, I love it. We can uh, people watch while we chat too, which is like a thing to do in New York, especially if you're in Midtown or any any pick any borough. People, the, the problem with uh, people who come to New York, they think Manhattan is all of New York. Right. There's five <laughs> boroughs with this own culture and personality, so Manhattan just happens to be one of them. So. Honestly, it's the best thing to do. You will never be bored. My friend and I were sitting at the window at dinner last night. Like this is amazing yeah it's like a fishbowl so yeah. it's like you know you're looking at a bunch of fish just go up and down the street <laughs> yeah that's how it is i'm actually really glad that you were able you specifically were able to make the time to chat with us today because i asked my twitter followers last night like what topics do you want to hear us talk about on courtside club and somebody mentioned life after sports yeah which i was a former athlete myself i didn't play professionally but i played division one and, and you know leaving the game of basketball was with ut I, I did not. We played against UT, okay. but I went to Old Dominion, actually. Okay, really? I went yeah. to Hofstra. Oh, yeah. So I was getting recruited by them. I actually saw that you went to Hofstra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were in the mix. I loved Hofstra, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, you could be part of the pride. I know. I won't hold it against you, though. I know. You know, looking back, Old Dominion wasn't the best choice for me. <laughs> um, and, I, and I left early because I didn't make the best gotcha, decision. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But you're somebody who... Probably most of your life played football. Am I wrong? Like, when did you start playing football? So I started playing football when I was 14 years old. Um, oh, so a little bit later. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from the Bronx, New York, so I'm a city kid. And most kids that grow up in the city play basketball or baseball. Um, there's not a lot. Of, there's no football fields around for us to kind of, you know, throw the pigskin around uh, other than on the on the street. So I grew up a basketball kid. Hooped for a long time. I even hooped in high school, but. Um, when I was 14 years old, I just knew football was my calling, largely largely because I wanted to be like Lawrence Taylor, uh, the okay. ex-great giant. He was like everything to me. And Lawrence Taylor in particular was it was I was attracted to and wanted to be like because he played with like a lawlessness. I'm the middle child, so I was I'm naturally rebellious, okay. if yeah. you will. <laughs> uh, and so I always I was always drawn to him and drawn to the game of football. And my freshman year, uh, I was actually late because uh, I was playing basketball. I was actually late to training camp. And my first day of school, I ran downstairs, uh, and uh, our freshman football coach, his name was Wild Bill Jensen. And Wild Bill Jensen had these Coke bottle glasses. He had this dusty old uh, snapback hat, and he wore high tube socks. He was like the typical football coach. Um, he was ripping cigs. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. This is like out of a movie. <laughs> he he, he, sh- he should have been in a movie. Um, and I walked up to him. I was like, hey, coach, my name is William Cologne. I want to, you know, I want to be a part of the team. How can I do so? He was like, well, you know, our, our spots are pretty much filled. You're late. I don't know if you're going to be able to participate this year. And I was heartbroken because I, you know, obviously wanted to play. And he was just like, what size shoe do you wear? And I was just like, oh, I'm a 14. He was like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 14. <laughs> he was just like, won't you be here tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Come like tomorrow. Bring some sweat clothes. You're just going to work out with the team. And so I was thrilled. I ran home. 
and told my mother, I was like, I'm playing football. There's nothing you can do about it. She was like, eh, I don't know about that. I was like, Ma, please, I begged her. She was like, okay. I was like, but I need a sweatsuit. So she took me to Models. Uh, I don't know if Models is a nationwide, but it was a sports, uh, sporting goods store. And I brought a sweatsuit. And I was literally on the field the next day. And old school, how they used to, you know, old school high school football, the freshman team, the JV team, and the senior team would all warm up together. Um, so it looked like a, it looked like one big army. And I was like the last guy oh, in like no, row yeah. 32 with the <laughs> random sweatshirt. And everybody's dressed in a uniform. And everybody's looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? Um, and I was going through all the drills, up downs, and push ups. And literally, I'm. Uh, I was in one of the tackling lines about to like because they were teaching guys how to tackle and I was in line and I was about to go uh, and with no uniform or whatever and I remember one of the defensive line coaches name was Coach Coop literally grabbed me by my collar and was like what are you doing you don't have a helmet like you're gonna, you're gonna get hurt you're gonna get us killed and I was just like oh I was gonna participate and he was just like yeah when you get your helmet and so. Once uh, they realized I was serious about it, I was like really passionate about it. I ended up getting my helmet and my shoulder pads, and uh, they put me at fullback because we ran a triple option, and I ended up making captain of the team. Um, Your freshman year? Yeah, my freshman year. Of yeah. the freshman team, or did you play? You played up? I, yeah, well, I played, I made captain of my freshman football team, and then the next year I went straight to varsity. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Were you your size? Now, I mean, obviously not your size. I was always now, a big kid. But yeah. you were at 14, like you. Yeah, I was at fourteen. Yeah. I was at fourteen. Looked like I, you know, I, I had a paper route. Like, yeah. I was just like I could throw some cinder blocks around. I was I was a naturally big kid and always very aggressive. Grew up a WWE fan, a WWF fan back then. That's um, cool. So I was always listening. I was just a boy. I was rumble tumble. That's that's yeah. always been my personality. Sorry, I know we just dug right into it, but it's so interesting to me to see somebody now who obviously has accomplished like the highest goal. Of, yeah. I feel like most football players is is to win a Super Bowl, and you got. To that moment can you talk about what what that feeling was when you when you got drafted my story is unique in a lot of different ways um you know i was my senior year of college uh i, I had you know achieved a lot of accolades but i necessarily wasn't focused on being a professional football player i was more focused on how am i going to survive once i graduate you know meaning I was living with my quarterback at the time. He had a little attic for a room. I was paying him $500 rent. But on, in the mix of that, my my office and line coach, Damon Robluski, who's now with uh, the with Jam, James Madison, actually, mm -hmm. he's the office and line coach yeah. there. He was just like, hey, bud, you know, the NFL is knocking. You need to start taking this seriously. And I was more the precedence of saying, hey, the NFL can be after me all they want. I have to eat. Because that's what people don't realize. Like once you enter the draft, there's at least three or four months. And if you don't get drafted, you gotta right. you gotta figure out life. And so I was bouncing and my agent was like, listen, Joe Linta, he that's my agent. He was like, Listen, you gotta you gotta do right because if you're gonna go to these teams and they're gonna put you into they're gonna give you physicals and you can't go to the Eagles all bruised up. You know, you can't at the time Andy Reid was the, the coach for the Eagles. Like you can't you can't walk up to Andy Reid with a patch on your head, bruised up, and you you you're pretty much trying to get a job from them. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, All right, so he's so I started taking uh, training seriously and um, you know, when the draft came along Pretty much what happened was, so how the draft works, you you have to give a landline and you have to give a cell phone. You okay. got to give numbers to both. Yeah. The landline that I gave was to the house I was staying at. And so day one of the NFL draft happens. Um, you know, I'm watching a lot of guys who I knew kind of get drafted. And I'm saying to myself, all right, obviously I'm not one of them, which is fine. But I just kind of just wanted to get out of the house. I just didn't want to be, be there no more. So I ended up going to my sister's home. 
go to my sister's house, sleep on the couch, plug my charger. I had, at the time, I had a T-Mobile Razor. I don't know how the kids remember the Razor. Yeah, I, had a, I, had a razor. I do remember. So I had a T-Mobile Razor, and I plugged it in, fell asleep on the couch, wake up the next morning, and my phone is not working. I'm freaking out. I was like, why is my phone not working? Yeah. And I'm doing everything. You know, they, they tell you all the tricks. Put it in a bag of rice. or I'm doing all that nonsense. None <laughs> Literally of that. anything, put it in rice. <laughs> right. And so I'm doing all this nonsense. And my sister comes in. And she's like, why are you freaking out? I was like, my phone's not working. Um, you know, the landline that I gave him isn't to this apartment. It's to where I was just at. And he was, and she was just like, it's going to work out. You know, whatever. The NFL, day two of the draft starts. Literally... As the draft is going on, my phone turns on miraculously. The first call that I get on that phone is my agent. He calls me. He's like, what are you doing? Because at this time, <laughs> three or four teams had already went off the board. Right. Two of the teams that I thought I was going to get drafted to already got office alignment, by the way. So I'm mortified. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, Joe, my phone. I don't, he's like, so let me understand this. You're not home to where you gave the landline to for the NFL people to call you. And currently you're at your sister's home talking on a cell phone that barely works. Yeah. This is the NFL draft. What are you doing? And so I'm like, man, I, I like Joe. I don't, you know, I'm sorry. I was like, I don't know what's going on. He was like, you know, the Cowboys are potentially going to call you. We don't know what's going to transpire out of that. But he goes, so he's frustrated. He's over, he's over me. He's just like, hang up. He's like, I I'll call you. Just be by your phone. Sure enough, I'm I'm destroyed because I feel like I've blown every opportunity. Who knows who's trying to get a hold of me? Obviously, I'm not home where I said I was going to be. And so I put my phone down. I walk to the terrace. I'm just kind of overlooking um, the buildings. And my sister's like, well, I'm going to make breakfast and everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, even though I'm like destroyed inside. And my phone rings. And she's like, it's 412. Who's 412? I was just like, I don't know. And so she picks up the phone. She's like, hello. And the first person on the phone was Bill Cower. Bill Cower was like, hey. Can I talk to Willie Cologne? And my sister's like, yeah. She's like, Will, do you know who Bill is? I'm like, I don't know no Bill. I'm like, hang up. <laughs> oh, she no. hangs up. Seriously? Come on. She hangs up, <laughs> picks up the, they call again. She goes, hello, can I talk to Willie Cologne? And she's like, Willie, it's, she's like, it's, co it's coming, it's Coach Bill Cower. So she's like, Coach Bill Cower's like, yeah, give me, now I'll grab the phone. Right. Give me the phone. And he's like, hey, Willie, how you doing? Do you want to be a Pittsburgh Steeler? And I'm just like, yeah. He goes, turn around. I turn around. He goes, we're picking you right now, uh, fourth round, 131. So I turn around with my phone in my hand, and I see Willie Clone out of the hospital, fourth round, 131. And I just cry. I just melted. Like, he like exploded. Uh, my family's crying. And that so was cool. that was just a very surreal moment of just – it meant a lot, that meant a lot to me because it was just all about perseverance. I had been through a lot through my college careers – my career, excuse me. And – um it was just a lot. So then once I got to the NFL and playing for the Steelers, it was a whirlwind because the Steelers had won the Super Bowl prior to me getting drafted. They had beat the Seattle Seahawks in Detroit. That was Jerome Bettis' last game. And so the team in the city was just buzzing. Like any like any any team that has just won, like the city is just like right. they you know, they got the big cojones. Like you can't tell them so the, Everybody from the grandmother to the babies had this swagger about them. It was <laughs> it was insane. And Pittsburgh is already rich in tradition, especially about the Steelers. And I, I am a New Yorker, really, you know, really not knowing what to feel about it because I, I, I got to make the team. I didn't win the Super Bowl. I'm just a new guy. And two, really kind of just a fish out of water from the standpoint that I wasn't used to people noticing me or knowing my name. 
and so when I was out eating, people would just stare at me, and I'd be like, you know, in New, in New York, when people <laughs> mad dog you, you're like, right. you got a problem, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it took a lot of me just being acclimated to that city. It was a little intimidating because I just wasn't, you know, I went to a small school in Hofstra. I wasn't noti- I wasn't used to people noticing who I was or nor cared at that. So yeah. Um, but playing there was just it was just an amazing experience. I feel like that can go one of two ways, right? Because you you walk in as the new guy to to this established team and you're gonna learn quickly. Yeah. Or else you'll sink. Or you can go to a team that's trying to rebuild and you have a, a an easier chance maybe to to make your mark and and help out. Well, I think I think every every team has their own way of going about it. I think the Steelers do a great job of letting guys mature. Like one thing I think happens in sports, and I think it doesn't happen in other sports, well, other teams rather, is that good teams invest and they don't rush the maturation period of a of an individual player, right? And yeah. largely because largely because they have guys in front of them that they can necessarily depend on right away. Bad teams, I think may not have that access or that level of depth and they rush a guy to be right, right where he needs to be, where they want him to be right away, and that guy's necessarily not there. And, and, and it's just because a guy's 22 years old, coming from Opelika, Florida. Now he's in right. Orchard Park, uh, Park, Buffalo. And so there's a lot that goes into a guy being where he needs to be from a professional standpoint. You played sports. I mean, you can – you can look apart, but if, from the neck up, if you're not right, it doesn't. It's never, never going to trans, translate onto the field. I want to go back to something you were talking about um, pre-draft when you said that you you still had to figure it out. You're like, this is great. The NFL's interested in me. They haven't cut any checks for me yet, sure. though, so yeah. I have to look out for myself. That was something for me when I was in college. I knew when I was playing basketball that I did not want to play professionally. So I wanted to get a good education and set myself up for whatever was next beyond basketball. Okay. I felt like where I was at, I wasn't getting that. And I think things have changed in the past. Like that was what, 13 years ago when I was at Old Dominion. Um, But what do you think that college coaches or programs could do a little bit better? Because there is a very small percentage of these college athletes who play professionally. Well, in reference to like getting guys ready for the pros? I just think getting them ready for life and yeah. not even even not if it, they don't go professional. You know? I think a lot of programs, a lot of big programs do their best to get guys acclimated and ready for life. However, there are the other schools who don't necessarily have the refunds nor the kind of that powerhouse, you know, that kind of alumni association that, you know, listen, a guy from Ohio State, he just put his degree on the like, hey, I went to Ohio State, I played football, a guy's got a chance, he can get a job, he can figure it out. Other schools don't have that access. But I think what schools are trying to do, which I think they haven't done, they're allowing more guys who either played the sport or played for the university to come back, tell their story, and kind of be that bridge, which helps, right? And so it's a mixed bag. Sometimes I think these kids are so coddled, it, just, it handicaps them. But then at the same time, you know, a lot of these kids do need help, and I think there's it's it's about finding the access and learning how to go about it. I think that's that's the gap. What do you what do you see happening with NIL? Because again, I think that there's a lot of cool opportunity yeah. there as well. But then I also see already um, brands and such taking advantage of college kids yeah. for some of these deals because they will they will do it for whatever money because they don't have any you know have anything yeah um, so i just I, I just wonder down the line i think it will get more tightened up if you will yeah you i don't know. know what the word is it's but pretty much pre-free agency and that's that's what it is and i think 
right now I'm happy our guys are getting paid because I think for generations, you know, the NCAA has been making money off athletes' backs for years. For sure. Um, however, I just – the issue – because I have guys who – friends, close friends of mine, guys who I consider brothers who are now persistent coaches at a lot of these, you know, big institutions and big programs. And the issues that they're running into is it's necessarily not the negotiation process with – you know, if you had a son or if I had a son that's like, all right, he's going to go play for Florida. Mm-hmm. And Florida's like, all right, we understand we have to give you something. It's not somebody qualified making that deal. It's like your Uncle Larry who owns the car dealership yeah. <laughs> now talking to Bill Napier about getting their nephew $500,000 where that kid is like really market value is probably $200,000. Mm-hmm. And so I just hope that. One, it does get tight. It does have some, it does build some you know some framework of what's allowed yeah. and what's not allowed. That's a good. Word I think for a it. lot of coaches are not worried about the NIL. I think they're more worried about that you know if you're going to hand this kid off a bank you know like the kid the quarterback I forgot his name is Nico he's going to uh, Tennessee I think he's got like eight million dollars in, in in NIL like this kid has made all that money and hasn't played for Tennessee yet. Who knows if he's going to be the right, guy they crazy. recruited to? Yeah. So now the kid is like not thinking about playing for the Niners or the Cowboys. Now he's like, well, I can if I do what I need to do in high school, I can make a good chunk playing for the University of Miami or playing for Texas. And yeah. so their perception and the mountain has sort of strength, uh, strunk a little bit, if you will. Like the mountaintop was like, I'm gonna get drafted, you know, first day. <laughs> I'm gonna make bank. Everybody yeah. gonna eat. Now the kid is like, well. I go to USC, get two million. <laughs> yeah. change, I can still change my family's life. So it's it's definitely different. And now coaches, their promotion, how they promote the game, and how they're getting kids um, to join their programs is different because they're like, hey, you know, you don't have to worry about the league. We can take care of you. Mm-hmm. And guys are like, okay. Especially when you're telling guys right now, and which is true, uh, and it's actually fashionably, the average the average career for NFL players three years. Yeah, I was gonna say because you had a long career. I did. I was blessed, and I and I I had a lot of injuries too. I, I went to two back to back IRs, and I finished with an IR. So, um, but I was extremely blessed and to overcome all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get more into your life after football, all the cool things that you're doing now. Yeah. But on the courtside club, we do like to take a halftime break. Okay, let's do it. I know you grew up here, but. You spent so much time in Pittsburgh. Yes. So I have a list of categories, and oh, I man. want you to tell me. Are you going to check my Yinzer card? I feel like uh, this is about to happen. I want you to tell me which one is better, New York or Pittsburgh. Well, we'll start off with an easy Let's one, okay? So, so the weather. <sighs> uh, New York, because there's more gray days in Pittsburgh than actual Seattle, Washington. So that's a fact. Seriously? Yeah, it's gray a lot. What? It's very gray in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to say New York. Yeah. Okay, so New York. What about the food? Oh, New York is now. Okay, this one I feel like is a no-brainer too. The nightlife. See, that's why I, that's Ooh, why we'll push back. Okay. Because <laughs> I was I was I Willie Cologne frequent the streets of Pittsburgh <laughs> a lot. Um, and when you're and when you're a Pittsburgh Steeler and you're winning, it's a whole different uh, vibe. So. So what's it like? You just get in anywhere at any time, anything that you want. So this is what I tell people: New York is awesome because obviously it's the vibe, it's the culture, it's the fast the fast pace. You could be rubbing all elbows with a hot model or a superstar. But the thing about Pittsburgh, which I love and I and I, and I hold dear it, to my heart, was that the city itself and the people itself protected the players. So. 
Meaning, if I, Willie Colon, was walking out of establishment now, you know, and I was overserved, um, and I was stumbling down Carson Street, I would have fans come up to me like, hey, big fella, you okay? Let me get you home. Wow. Police officers would be like, hey, big fella, how are you getting home? Yeah. And this was pre-social media, so you felt like you allowed you to be human. You wasn't always kind of under this it's big, cool. you know what I mean? So... And it made you feel like you was a part of the community because I would be, you know, at, you know, Penny's Diner or having a gyro, you know, two o'clock in the morning, had him beat Cleveland Browns, slapping down some food. And I was doing it amongst family. People who's like, hey, good game, big fella. You want to finish this plate of fries? Of course I do. I'm starving. And so (laughs) it was fun, man. It was fun. And we were around people who always, the city never felt like they were out to get you. If anything, they were trying to protect you. And our payback to them was just by winning. Yeah. So Pittsburgh. Which you don't get in all cities. There At are all. some cities. I don't know if it's still like that in Pittsburgh. Okay. I think I think the times have changed. But I know for a fact how we used to party, they protected us. Yeah. And our way of paying them back was by winning. I will say, though, I'm from Akron, Ohio. Okay. And so... Ohio sports fans are very so similar. Yeah, yeah, you get it. Yeah, like even me, I, I, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan first, but was at the Super Bowl. Okay, and was going hard for the Bengals, like <laughs> just because that was Ohio represent. I have never been so invested in any sporting event, yeah. and I was like, why am I? I was like, but no, this is Ohio. Like yeah. they're doing it for 100%. us. You know, and that's how Pittsburgh so. is. Like once yeah. they call you theirs, you're theirs, and they and they're for you yeah. through and through. They're for you. All right. Next up, the practice facility. See, it's 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 changed. Uh, Pittsburgh was very bare bones, um, but in a in a very classy and professional way. The Jets is like it's like top notch. Woody Johnson threw up. He threw money. He, like it's, it's like every <laughs> like our cafeteria to our weight room to uh, it's it's Jets probably have one of the, and I've heard this from other guys who have come from other places say Jets probably have one of the best facilities. Um, in, in the league. So which one would you pick, though? Do you uh, like that kind of rough around the edges, or do you like do. the new and improved? So I'm going to go okay. Pittsburgh. I it's do hard. like the blue-collar uh, approach. We didn't have, like, a milkshake station. Like, Jets, <laughs> the Jets have, like, way too much going on. It, it's really, really nice. But the Pittsburgh was like, what you see is what you got. But it kept you humble. You know? Cool. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. All right, coaching staff. Pittsburgh stores. <laughs> not even close. Easy money. Yeah. Um, what about your teammates? Pittsburgh Steelers, hands down. Um, you know, there's 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 something that's like listen, winning is the ultimate deodorant, right? You cannot like you cannot like half your team, but you're winning and you're, you're okay with them. When you're losing and you're still dealing with guys you don't lock like in the locker room or like how their approach to football or how they do their job, it can become hard. When I landed to when I landed to the Jets in thirteen, um, we were the second youngest team in the league. And they had lost so many key figures in that locker room that the team was really, the whole organization was a reset. And valid, there was ways they could have recovered, but they never did. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And I was, you know, I was new because I was this battle horse from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I played in multiple playoff games, been to two Super Bowls, um, went to AFC championships. Um, had all this going for me from a professional standpoint to step into a locker room where a lot of guys who you probably respected um, before you got there just seemed disconnected or maybe 
bitter because of the guys they had went through battle with for so long and no longer in the building. It was really like a it was like a two or three year grieving period that that organization went through. Um, yeah. And I witnessed it, and I tried to be you know a, a, a significant figure, and I think I did the best I could, but I also was injured um, at times. So, but it was it was the Jets had went through a lot. Um, when I got there, and it, it so you felt like still, the chemistry never got there during the time you were there. It never, it never was what it could have been, but it also was a large part of it was because of the guys who were role models or significant pieces of part of that organization have retired, and so a lot of guys who, because I think, and you can probably speak to this, there are people who are vocal and rah rah people and who mm-hmm. can play, and there's some people who are introverts just want to do their job, but when you're dealing with a young team. And those guys who are vocal leaders or people who lead by example aren't there anymore. You know, the guys who need that kind of guidance are left to kind of fend for themselves. And yeah. if you have if you have bad habits and you create a bad culture, that kind of festers. So that's that's what it was. Quarterbacks then and now. Oh, I, I, well, I went from Big Ben to Geno Smith. So I think that's... <laughs> and it's not even Geno's fault. I'm not, I'm not... Yeah, I'm like not it's even not trying even, to base anybody. It's not even Geno's yeah. fault because, you know, it really should have been... I should have went to Ben Roethlisberger to Mark Sanchez. Uh, but Mark ended up getting hurt uh, my first year with the Jets. And ultimately, he he left. Um, and Geno, just as good as he was in college, just wasn't ready for that type of situation. Uh, not that he's not capable because he does have another shot in Seattle and I know he's in a quarterback battle uh, competition with Drew Locke but um, I felt bad for Gino because he was he was drafted to be the savior but he just wasn't ready if he would have had two years of just kind of really figuring it out and things got a little better he'd probably still be a Jet All right. so lastly I feel like you already answered this one but the fans (laughs) (laughs) Man, I be feeling bad for Jet Nation, man. And I, I Valen, I'm on SOY cover the pre and post and Jet Nation, man. They just been through it. They've been they've been dragged. You know they, you know they haven't been to the playoffs uh, playoffs in, in 11 years. Um, and every year, this time of year, they're forced to have high expectations about a team um, that they deep down inside don't know about, but because they're so avid, they just like they go to feel like it's their year. But like you don't know until they go through it. Um, Steeler Nation is different because it's a generational thing. Like, go to Walmart or Target. You know, you from you from <laughs> you you know how it is. Yeah. You're gonna see a baby to an 85 year old lady to some dude that looks like a substitute teacher, all wearing Steeler jerseys. Yeah. And throughout the city of Pittsburgh on a Friday, maybe Thursday, the city is dripped in black and gold, and it just is what it is. So you're it's it's I say I I say it all the time. Being a Steeler is like being a part of a religion. It's it's definitely like a cult. It's it's like not even a question. Like I remember one time I was on IR, and I think we had like an afternoon game. It was like a four twenty five game. I had went to the one o'clock service, and literally the service is like going on, and I can the Padre was like, a it's close to game time. Last wrap it up to the con- congregation, and everybody was like, Amen. <laughs> Out the, out the door and i was just like looking around like <laughs> so good and it was straight like that yeah. like and people were just out of there and everybody and was on board with everybody it. Yeah. And like it, this one lady was like yeah i got my greens on girl I said, we gotta go watch the steelers and i remember watching this one this one dude was like yeah i gotta get to the grill like it's it's a day man <laughs> and on thursday you would see rvs and trailers people already out there for a sunday game on yeah, thursday cool. and our parking lot would be slammed with people and i'd be like oh is a concert coming to town i was like no i remember one dude was like you are the 
concert. We drove. <laughs> he's like, we drove from Kentucky. We go. We go spend our weekends here. And so it's like the Beatles in Pittsburgh, yeah, but at all times. <laughs> even in Latrobe, like training camp, people on they like on their time, their vacation, like, oh, we go to Latrobe to vacation for three days, watch Steelers, we're gonna get back in the RV, and we're gonna go home. That's that. That's, that, cool. that's people's vacation time. Yeah. So it's wild. So Pittsburgh, hands down. No, it's not even close. <laughs> not even close. But I, I love Jet Nation, man. They just, they just, they, they haven't had the taste of winning in their mouth for so long that they're just, they're dehydrated. They need to be hydrated with some love, man. Do you have any predictions for New York sports teams in general for these upcoming? I would say I, I don't follow along as much with hockey and baseball, but basketball and football. Well, we're, we're, we're fortunate. Our Yankees are really hot right now. Um, we got to pay Judge. I mean, he's, he's, he's the best player in baseball right now. Um, our bets are doing well. Uh, I think that I think the Yankees got a shot to go to distance. We got to figure out. We got to get some more consistency with our pitching. Um, Football-wise, the Giants are a little bit of, in a lull because, you know, their offensive line is up and down. You know, what type of year Saquon's going to have is, is is serious. But the number, the number one question is, was, you know, what, what who's Daniel Jones going to be for that offense? And, uh, and and I like Coach, you know, Brian DeBall. They just acquired from Buffalo. I think he's a fascinating coach. Um, so they got they got a lot they got a lot of things they got to answer. Um, Jet wise, man, the Jets remind me a lot of the Yankees um, from the early from the late nineties because they have drafted their core four. We got Makai Beckton, you got Zach Wilson, now you got Michael Carter, um, Elijah uh, Elijah Moore. And then this draft, I think one, I think they've had one of the best drafts they had in probably organizational history because they got like usually when you draft, you draft talent, need, and depth. They answered all of that, um, and they got guys they can build on. So it's just about them staying healthy. And then a lot of guys they acquired last year who were hurt, like Carl Lawson. Um, they got a lot of those guys back. So you, if you in, if you inject the guys that were supposed to be significant pieces for them last year that weren't able to pay. Played now they're back plus this young talent plus they, they they were able to acquire guys who could really go get it. I thought Quala Alexander the, the linebacker they picked up it was a huge move to compliment C.J. Mosley. So with all that said, um, I think the Jets are going to have a better year than what people expect. However, they still have to learn how to win. You know, like you've played sports and yeah. it's about playing all four quarters. You know, you can look good on paper, but. You got to play. I mean, we saw that the the easiest example was in the NBA in the yeah. last couple seasons. The teams that looked amazing on paper, almost like they were cheating on paper, yep. and then Can't find them. didn't even make it to the playoffs. Brooklyn, is a, Brooklyn Nets are a prime example. But yeah. for our Knicks, man, I mean, I know a lot of people, who's Jalen Brunson? And uh, <laughs> we gave up all this stuff. You know, listen, we, we got an opportunity to have R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson, Mitchell Robinson. Um Obviously, we still need some more pieces, but they, you know, we got a lot of draft picks that we can build for the future. You need equity, and we were able to get it. So, so your life after football, the the question that we that we started with, that yeah. we're just now getting back to. Did you always think that you wanted to go into the broadcast space? You were with Barstool for a little while yeah. on SiriusXM now, and been killing it in this space. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I, I was I was very bitter when I left the field because I left the field injured and forced to leave because my knees went bad on me. So I was really much um, a, well, just in, in, a, in a gray space about what I wanted to do next. I was doing a couple hits on SNY, and my wife was like, uh, my wife Akisha was like, "Hey, man, if you take this serious, you can be pretty good at it." And I was like, "This uh, is a trend in your life." You yeah, know that? Right? yeah. <laughs> Women are obviously smart. It was the same with football. They're like, you know, if you take this serious. Yeah, you could go pro. <laughs> and well, part of my pushback was because I still wanted to play. You know, I just yeah. I didn't want to leave the field. And I was always I wasn't anti media, but I was just like, half of these guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. So why? Like, I don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And the guys who were who were leaving the field and kind of like get into that space of that role. Some of those guys weren't welcomed back into the locker room because they were letting they were they were uh, talking too much. Okay. You know, yeah, letting yeah. go of house secrets, putting a team that they formerly played for in weird positions. And I was like, I necessarily don't want to be that guy. So I just had a very skewed idea of what my role would be in media. And when I was able to walk off the field, do a lot of things for S&Y, which is where I'm currently at doing the Jets pre and post, it took me a lot to just be comfortable, for one, in front of a camera, two, just be comfortable on what I wanted to say and how I wanted to deliver my message. It's, you know... A lot of times, when you as athletes, especially when you're playing, you feel like when the mic is front of your, in front of your face, you have to say something. Like you do, you don't have any say, which is the opposite. Yeah. You can you can say I don't have anything to say, right? Beat yeah. it, <laughs> or you can say what you want to say, but understand that you know say what you mean and mean what you say. And then, so for me, when I got onto the other side of the fence, I realized that there are professionals who do care about their takes and how they go about their stuff. And then there's guys who just want to cut onions so they can be in the headlines, right? So yeah. everybody fits a different role lane. It's just a matter of you figuring out what you want to do, how you want to go about it, and in whatever content space you choose. When I landed with Barstool, I didn't know what Barstool was. I didn't oh, have, really? No, I landed to Barstool because of Julie Stewart-Banks. She was like, hey, Willie, I'm at Barstool now. And I was like, what the hell is Barstool? She's like, no, but I really think it's good for you. Won't you come try out, whatever? So I kind of auditioned for their morning show. And it was Julie Stewart-Banks, Francis Ellis, and it was me being the third wheel. And a couple other guys I think they had interviewed uh, for the position, but it just didn't work out. She called me over. It, you know, I smashed it. It was a home run. And um, Dave Portnoy was like, hey, man, like, we like you. We think you're one of, you know, we, mm-hmm. we think you can work here. We think you can work at Barstool. And I, you know, I took the job. Val, I had did a couple, you know, I had worked a couple months at Barstool. Um, I took the job not really knowing what Barstool was or what it was all about. and But I did love kind of this free um, this free space it lived in. Like it, it, yeah. it was like, it was like, you know, it was, it was almost like, it was very freeing from the standpoint. Like it was, wasn't just, you weren't being judged for trying to like hot takes. It was actually the opposite. Like the wilder and more spontaneous you could be, the more you were accepted. <laughs> yeah. And I just love Dave's approach, uh, how he ran the company and, um, you know, at the time, I just loved um, his kind of like wild cowboy. You know, just kind of just who's still Billy's still going strong with yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> he's still doing his thing. But I, uh, I loved in my early years of Barstool. I just it, it felt very different. It felt very free, and I liked it. I feel like that's why they would like you though, because we haven't known each other very long. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation that we're having, but it seems like you're just authentically you. I try to be. You're yeah. just 
sharing what you do best you're you know you see the the news reporters on tv they're more polished and they speak a certain way yeah. and hit a certain note but you bring this kind of realness that mm-hmm. i think is relatable and easy to listen to and i could see a barstool being like he's just a good fit and he's unique and he has the playing experience yep. you don't have too many athlete talent over there yeah so barstool was it, it's weird because people ask me about my time at barstool obviously i'm not there to uh anymore um, I was fortunate enough to do the morning show with Lars McCar- McCarthy. I did with Francis, um, Pat, Zai, and, and, and Wayne Jeske. And those guys are like family to me. And I loved what we had. Um, and I don't I don't know how to feel about Barstool. It's weird because I get asked that a lot. And I'm very mm-hmm. – I'm, I'm in a very gray space because there's people there who work there who I love and have a lot of respect for. And then there's the other side where I'm just like, yeah, that's not it. And so um, – I'm still like, yeah, and I've been away from Barstool going on like a year or two because uh, I worked there for three years. I'm, I'm still very like in a weird space about it. Yeah. Yeah. But now you're at Sirius with on, on Mad Dog Radio? Yep, I'm on Mad Dog Sports cool. Channel 82 uh, <laughs> with my two co-hosts, Evan Cohen and Mike Babchek. Uh, Evan Cohen's the very polished, super pro- professional um you know, kind of the point guard of the show. And Mike Babchek is kind of the, you know, the sex, drugs, rock and roll guy. He's the wild guy. And I'm, I'm kind of the in-between. And uh, we have a very good dynamic. I think we're, you know, I've only, I started working on the show last September. So I'm still learning who they are and, and what's my role. And we're, we're getting it together, but we're having fun. And I think what we try to do is, you know, if you're going to wake up six in the morning and turn us on, we want to be entertaining, right? Like this. For sure. And so, and and we're trying to figure it out. I mean, I think we have fun of talking sports, talking life, talking football, and talking everything that uh, the headlines require, if you will. So I think we do a good job at it. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odd boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesars Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today, and get more with every wager. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. Are there any stories right now that you've been following in the NFL or or in the sports world in general? I think right now the live golf thing is is hot, right? Yeah. And you know me on a show we compare it to when the NWO was going against uh, the WCW. You had the Wolfpack versus uh, you know the Empire, so to speak, and. Uh, it's weird to see those, you know, it, you, Bubba Watson just went over. You talk about Phil Mickelson. You talk about, you know, Bryson DeChambeau and all those guys. They're, they've all jumped ship, and, and, and you have Tiger and, and, and McElroy. How much did he decline again? I think Supposedly? they said seven to eight hundred million. But Tiger has that. Like Tiger is almost a billionaire with everything. I mean, to me, that sounds insane. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, yeah, let's let's get yeah. out of here. Uh, <laughs> I signed yesterday. Yeah. So that's interesting right now. And I think, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited about Nick Saban, um, Jimbo Fisher. I think it's October 12th. What that looks like, you know, and how I, I think that should be on pay per view. I don't know if a college game has ever been on pay per view, but I feel like that's going to be like a heavyweight <laughs> fight. And I'm excited. I actually got that one marked off. So I'm excited about college football this year. Um, NFL wise, 
there's so many spinning headlines. Obviously, the Deshaun Watson thing is a hot button issue, right? Um, I feel like everybody's had their two cents, and everybody's had their way. two cents. Um, it is it is wild because you know it's one of those situations where no matter what you say, it's just such a heavy conversation this time. Like you you, you have to be so careful, but um, you know you just kind of got to just. You just got to gotta sit and wait. Obviously, the NFL has appealed uh, what Judge Sue Robertson has issued, the six-game six suspension, and Goodell's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you know. So, but that, that that whole thing is so layered that it just – the more it unravels, the more you learn about the NFL, what they really care about, what they really don't. So, yeah. um, and then us sitting on the outside, we will never know the intricate details at all. that are going on. At all. So. Um, it's 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 a, it's a you know for your Browns you know how do you feel as a Browns fan like what do you what's your perception about it as a Browns fan in general it's not surprising that something like this would happen with one of our players because I feel like Cleveland sports are just cursed <laughs> okay. and like it's always like a season of ours where we're like yeah doing the thing yeah, something yeah, like yeah. a Johnny Manziel is another example sure, it's sure. like there's we get so much hope to be let down so often yeah that so from a straight like whatever it is for a Browns fan, not fun. Yeah. The other side, obviously from what I'm hearing of like the allegations and then the amount of games and then the other players who have gotten 10 times the amount of games suspended or or year long suspension, whatever. um, It's a little crazy. Yeah. You know, my, my take on it is I I blame the NFL for not staying in this lane, right? Like you talk about one thing the NBA does extremely well is what I thought was a smart choice was whatever happens off the court, let the courts deal with that. We could only control the NBA. So if a guy does something off the court, that's not right or egregious, there's, there's a lawyer, there's a judge and there's a grand jury that handles that. That's not for the NBA to decide to be the judge during execution. The NFL it's not Roger Goodell's fault because the Players Association and the NFL players have given Roger Goodell, when they were in CBA talks, the right to be the judge during execution. So okay. it pisses me off from the standpoint because Deshaun Watson went through two grand juries, right? They didn't get nothing on him. They said no. Then you went and hired a judge and Judge Sue Robinson. She gave you her decision, and now you're saying that's not enough. And she only came up with this game because she, she felt like it was consistent to what Roger Goodell did with Ben Roethlisberger and, and, and Ezekiel Elliott. Okay. So she was just like, well, this is the standard you set, the NFL. I'm just going along with it, and now you're telling right. me I'm wrong. Right. So it's just, it's, it, it clearly shows that the NFL isn't prepared or inept to handle these situations. So give it to the pros. Like, hand it off to them and just worry about football because – there's women who are pissed off. They're, 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 everybody's pissed off in some form <laughs> right. of way. Get out the way and right. let let the pros handle it. Let the, let the people who do this handle that and worry about football. And that's why I congratulate the NBA in that regard because they're like, listen, we're going to focus on basketball. We don't have we don't have a chamber of commerce to kind of yeah. you know delegate this. And yeah. So it, it's it's um. It's not, it, it's, they're it's being, be, I guess, a more reactive than just having something in place. Like, oh, if something like this happens, this is our this is our protocol. Right. Well, or, they they have rules, they have things, but but they haven't judged every rule, the they, same, every situation the right. same. Yeah, right? that's, what so, that's what I'm trying to say. And that's why it's like they're so up. Like you, Josh Gordon lost twenty. I think he was suspended twenty five games, and 
I, I, I can't believe. Wasn't he with us for a while too? A little bit. He was. Yeah, he was hellified with the Browns. I, the guy has been suspended, and he was talking about weed. Like, like talk right. about the weed culture now. Everybody's smoking. You walk down the street, it smells like a whole dispensary. <laughs> so, um, and so the, it's just been it's it's been so up and down, so all over the place that it's hard for the fan or anybody with any sense try to rationalize where we're at yeah. right now. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, sorry to just take you down that dark rabbit hole. I, no, it was I, cool. I have one last question for you. Um, this is another thing that has like been spiraling. There's a lot of athletes coming out saying that there are certain commentators, reporters, personalities on television who have not played the sport anymore who shouldn't be, basically. Yeah. What do you think about that being a former athlete who is now in this media world? Well, I think it's unfair because not everybody can be 6'8". You know, not everybody could be six six with a jump shot. Not everybody could be, <laughs> you know, six three, three hundred and sixty pounds and play offensive guard. Yeah. Um, what's happening now because of social media, people are being held more accountable for their comments and how they and how they um dis- distribute it. Because now if I say XYZ about KD, KD doesn't have to reach for my number. He can just tweet back at me about what I said. Yeah, and so now it's a more instant reaction, and it's a more level of accountability of what I'm about to say about a particular athlete. And by and mind you, the world could see it, and so now everybody has an opinion about what I said or how KD came back at yeah. me or whatever. So it's just it's, it's different. But I think for the long, it's always going to be like that because there are guys who played and still have bad takes or still have things they probably shouldn't say, or, but say it for whatever reason. And everybody's trying to eat in the space, right? And you're only going to eat if you're if you have something to say that is going to grab people's attention. Like everybody, you know, not everybody's going to feel one way about a particular situation. But if you're entertaining and it grabs me, people are going to draw you know draw to it. So um, it's just that a low business. hanging fruit. Sometimes is that hot take that's just wild, but you know it's going to get picked up. And it's like, yep. are you willing to be that person who's behind that take? And some people you are, know? and, and some, some people, people are, and some yeah. people have made a living being that bad guy. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's kind of like one of you know, it's that common rule. You're gonna you remain the heel so long that you eventually turn the hero. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's enough bad people out there who have had bad takes, said bad things, and probably crossed the line multiple times. But at the end of the day, you're watching them, yeah, because you want to hear it. You right, want to see yeah. the pe- you want to see the people firing squad shoot at them, um, and they and they have the you know they have the cojones to sit there and take it. So definitely, yeah. All right, so we are reaching the end of the game. I have some buzzer beaters for you. Let's shoot down. it. Let's do it. Okay, what is your ideal food and drink combo while sitting courtside? Oh man. You gotta have a beer. <laughs> so I'm gonna be honest. I, this was my favorite at Pittsburgh. I used to have a cold beer with sausages and peppers. So I loved it. Like, do do they serve that at the? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, in the burg they did. See, Yankee Stadium. That's definitely like a, a Midwest type. Oh, of I love thing. sausages yeah. and peppers and a cold beer. Was just like cash money for me. Yeah. And my wife would be having like a large plate of nachos, and we we're like two of the happiest, the fattest kids in America. <laughs> It was awesome. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Who was one person, dead or alive, who you'd love to sit courtside with? Or field side? Field side. I would want to sit with I would want to sit, I would want to sit with somebody funny. I don't want to sit with nobody too serious. So uh I wouldn't mind sitting with Bernie Mac okay. or Robin Williams. That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be fun. Really yeah. fun. I feel like they'll, they'll make it, it'll be fun. Ha ha, craziness happens. So, yeah. we had someone say Will Farrell at one point, too. So, on the same lines, yeah, but you, in his full, in his full semi pro outfit, you never want to, <laughs> right, you never want to go to a game with anybody who's a bad hang. 
Like yeah. he just complains about the weather. It's too cold. Shut up. Just watch the game. <laughs> watch the game. Eat Enjoy some sausage it. and you know peppers. I mean? Just relax. <laughs> yeah. Have a cold one. And yeah. last question. What is one event in history, it could be a sporting event or other, that you would have loved to have been courtside for? Oh, that's an awesome question, man. Uh, I would have loved to have been Thriller in Manila. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ali. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would what have year loved. was that? Do you know? It's like 70s, I think. It was in the 70s, right? Somebody on the floor? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, 74. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, that looks, yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to be that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good era. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't even thought back then, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just a twinkle in my dad's eye. Right. Uh, so yeah. Cool. Cool. Willie, thank you so much for coming Man, on. Man, thanks Sports for having Club. me. Appreciate it. Let everybody know where they could find you. What shows you're working on now? Anything that we should keep our eye out for? Yeah, you can find me at uh, Will Cologne sixty six on Twitter uh, or IG Willie Cologne sixty six on IG. I'm on Morning Men uh, Channel eighty two, uh, Sirius XM Radio, Mad Dog Sports. Talking everything underneath the sun, and uh, I'm on. If you're a Jets fan, you can find me on SNY Regional uh, from uh, Jets pre and post. So we talk about everything Jets, and um, that's it right now. I'm working on a podcast. I still come. My wife is on a reality show. Oh yeah, on the Own Network. Yeah, right? my wife is on the Own Network. Yeah. It's called Bell Collectors. Friday at 9 p.m. She plays cool. the villain. Uh, well, I, I say that I shouldn't say that. I'll let you judge if she's. The Every villain. heel becomes a hero yeah, at some point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But she's she's awesome on the show. Uh, I make a couple appearances, and um, I have a I have a beer garden in the Bronx, 65 cool. Brooklyn Boulevard. It's called Bricks and Hops. So mm-hmm. if you're up for some wings and a cold one and a festive time, stop on in. Uh, and that's it, man. Just just doing what I do. Love that. Yeah, Thank man. you so much. Thank Appreciate you. the time. Yeah, we're going to bump knuckles. Cool. We're cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching, guys. Make sure that you subscribe, rate, and like this video. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>